Welcome to the Paleo View. I'm Stacy Toth of PaleoParents.com. You might also know me as the broth lady or the inventor of the hashtag more vegetables than a vegetarian. I'm the co-author of several paleo cookbooks, including Eat Like a Dinosaur, Beyond Bacon, Real Life Paleo. I like to talk about health at any size and self-love and personal acceptance. Specifically, I have a love for lifting heavy things. If you're interested in finding more out about that, you can also find me on Strong Woman Radio. And I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne of thepaleomom.com. I'm the New York Times bestselling author of The Paleo Approach and The Paleo Approach Cookbook. I'm passionate about nutrient density and the intersection of diet and lifestyle with health, which really means I just love talking about science. News and views, where Sarah and I catch up and you get to listen to our gossip. Welcome back to the Paleo View yet again. We are not missing a week. Super exciting. And we have our guest. And I'm so excited. as we referenced last week, um, Sarah is working on submitting her book and getting it off to the printer. And so we're super excited that this week, one of my favorite people in Paleo and just in general, like girl crush and <laughs> longtime guest on the Paleo View, Danielle Walker of Against All Grain, is joining us. Hi. With baby E. Yeah, he's <laughs> right here. <laughs> so um, what we thought would be really great is we got a ton of questions, um, and Danielle has been getting a ton of questions from listeners on um, pregnancy and breastfeeding and newborn mom life. And while this is a passionate topic of mine, it has officially been five years since <laughs> I had a newborn. Um, and a while for Sarah as well. So we thought, who better than to help us address these questions than brand new mama um, kind of going through and, and living it and can remind us about all the things. And I will admit that earlier, I don't know if it'll be in the bloopers or not, but when we started the show, there was like baby cooing and I was like, <laughs> oh, it's so cute. And then the baby started crying and I was like, nope. I'm so done. <laughs> so yeah. I, I may or may not have had the opposite reaction. Oh, that's good. I was going to say my Ryan has has that same reaction, Stacey. Oh, so, so, does, so does my husband, which is a, a thing. Yeah. Well, I knew like people just say that you just feel it when you're done. And I didn't know what that meant because when I was having babies, like, I just wanted to keep having babies. <laughs> and then I reached a point a couple of years ago where I saw a pregnant woman. And instead of thinking like, oh, I remember, you know, and like those kinds of feelings, it was, I'm really glad that's not me. Like, I'm ready to move on. And so there's just a flip that switched to my brain. And I think having three boys is more than enough for me. We could not yeah. take on more. So anyway. Um, happy to have you here to share your, your fresh knowledge with us all. Um, for those listeners that might be living under a rock, Danielle is the blogger behind Against All Grain, which is a popular YouTube channel and New York Times bestselling, bestselling books, both self-titled Against All Grain and then Meals Made Simple. And then you're working on a third book, right? I am. Yeah. 
I am. It's called, well, actually, you know, we don't have a title yet and I'm really not even supposed to yeah, just don't talk about that. it, but I'm working on a third book. <laughs> <laughs> I almost just slipped. And if you're curious about that, you can follow along on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You see little, little bits and pieces, but I'll be able to talk more about it in another couple of months. So <laughs> good job not getting yourself in trouble there. I know. Wow. That was good. <laughs> I'm really bad about stuff like that. I have like total big mouth. So I just kind of talk and just, I'm very enthusiastic about things. So I sometimes forget. <laughs> so do you want to tell people what we call the, um, I came up with a better term than elevator pitch, Sarah. Yeah. What did I call it? I can't remember now. Some you had, you did me. have some good term. I yeah. don't remember. It anyway. Was- Something that's uh, just slightly longer than an elevator. Yeah, like a sound, like, you know, not so much a sound bite, but just uh-huh. a little Other direction. bit. Yeah, a little bit about yourself. So our listeners, I, I can't imagine who doesn't know who you are, both because you've been <laughs> on the show several times and because who doesn't know who you are at this point. But um, for those people, maybe oh. you could give them a little bit of background about yourself. Yeah. Well, you gave me a really nice warm intro. So thank you. Um I started a blog called Against All Grain after being diagnosed with an autoimmune disease called ulcerative colitis uh, when I was 22. I had just gotten married and um, after being sick with it for quite a few years and being on, gosh, 100 milligrams of prednisone steroids and all sorts of other different types of medications that were making things worse, I started looking into diet. Um, And that was, you know, before the time of all of us bloggers and authors and before there was so much information on the internet um, and so many fantastic books. And I just saw a couple of chat rooms that people said that they had tried going grain-free and dairy-free. And so I tried it. And so very, very long story and and long process short, um, I was able to put myself into remission and um, stayed out of the hospital (laughs) and um, started just creating recipes because I love food and I love the textures of food and the flavors, you know, of all the things that I used to enjoy. So I started my blog and then that kind of spun off into two cookbooks. Um, like you said, I've both been New York times bestsellers and I have another one, um, on the way. And, uh, but you know, I mean, most importantly, obviously for this podcast, I'm a mom. Um, I've got a five-year-old named Asher, and uh, we have a daughter in heaven. And then we've got Easton, who was just born um, August 28th. I get my due date and his actual date confused. <laughs> I told my doctor that he was born on the wrong day. So I'm trying to make sure that I pick the right date. But yeah, end of August. So he's he's um, almost eight weeks old. And we um, are... Oh, there he is. Um, <laughs> we're having fun. You know, we've got a five-year-old. So it's been an interesting um, kind of... A backwards step into having a newborn and I'm in a different place, you know, than I was. Oh, he's not very happy right now either. Um, yeah, so I'm trying to bounce him on a ball currently while I do a podcast, which is really fun. I'm actually going to take a little video of this and I'll have to put it on Instagram when this goes so you guys can see because it's quite comical. He's just trying to participate. I know. You know, this is that witching hour, like they say, right? It's yeah. 5.15 here. So he's he's tired. But he'll be, he's like, his eyes are totally fading. I can see him. He's like, you know, starting to close. So hopefully he'll be 
nice and quiet for you guys for the rest of the time. <laughs> um, but I was saying, um, you know, I'm in a different place than I was when I had Asher, I was still eating, um, well, during my pregnancy, eating kind of a standard diet. I had dabbled with the grain-free thing before I got pregnant with him and then felt so great during pregnancy that I kind of just reverted back to what I knew. And I ate all sorts of things and gained 65 pounds and, um, ended up having a flare up actually after he was born from a combination of, you know, hormonal shifts and then also the diet during pregnancy and after pregnancy. And then I think also a round of antibiotics for mastitis, um, just kind of threw me into one of the worst flare ups of my life. Um, but also my last flare up, which was great. And that was really right after that was when I kind of dove headfirst into paleo and, um, big, huge elimination diets, which looked a lot like the autoimmune protocol, um, at that point. And, um, so this one's a bit different, you know, I ate paleo through my pregnancy with Easton with the exception of some rice and a couple gluten-free pizzas <laughs> here and there and some frozen yogurt. But otherwise, um, for the most part, really stuck with it and felt great and um, have been eating that way, you know, um, with breastfeeding as well since he was born. So it's it's definitely different than it was um, with Asher. So it's, it's all very new. So I'm not coming on here as an expert by any means. I'm just kind of coming on to talk about what I'm doing and, you know, what's working, what's not. And, and also here's some knowledge bombs from Sarah because I know she knows <laughs> and also from Stacy because I know you used to be a lactation specialist so you know it's all about learning for me I'm still like still figuring things out I think it's awesome that you mentioned um that you had some gluten-free crackers and rice and froyo oh yeah <laughs> because um I think one of the things that Sarah and I really strive to do is explain to people that this is about sustainability and while it's really important to listen to your body, especially when you have a health condition such as you have, um, it's also, you know, where you can find a place to live um, your life where you still feel normal. And especially when you have pregnancy cravings or something, if you're able to yes. <laughs> fulfill those without going completely off of the tracks, which could right. have led to much greater complications for you. Right. I think I think it's important to kind of share with people that this is real life and we're real people and things happen. Yeah. Yeah, totally. You know, and I, I think it really is about figuring out your own body too. I know that during pregnancy, I have no symptoms whatsoever. And I, you know, on the opposite side of the spectrum thought with Asher that I could eat whatever and just be fine. And it added up over time and, you know, sent me into a flare. But I knew that with this one, if I just occasionally had a couple of things and, and I was careful the rest of the time that I'd be okay, I did not, you know, cheat with gluten. I just know that that's not even worth it for me. So there was none of that going on. But, you know, some of the different things, the, the other gluten-free items, I let myself have a couple of here and there. <laughs> Sarah, do you want to give a quick knowledge bomb on why some people have a reduction of autoimmune flares during pregnancy. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people feel are like there's this idea that the immune system is suppressed during pregnancy right. um, in order for the, um, you know, this foreign body that's growing inside you for the immune system to not attack it. And it's actually a little bit different than the immune system being suppressed. It's actually more of a shift in the immune system. Um, and so what happens is you can, because of this shift, um, and depending on exactly what part of the immune system is overactive in your specific autoimmune disease, um, you know, we used to think that it was Th1 dominant and Th2 dominant. That's sort of like the dogma of 15 years ago. And we now know that there's multiple 
sort of attacking cell types and you can be TH17 dominant, right? There's TH9. There's a, there's now like a huge group of, um, they're called helper T cells and they each have these specific jobs, but attacking jobs as opposed to regulatory jobs, right? So there's these two arms of the immune system and and most people divide the immune system by specific and nonspecific, but I'm talking more in terms of attacking and there's attacking specific and attacking nonspecific and regulatory and there's regulatory specific and regulatory nonspecific. So attacking part of the immune system attacks the foreign invaders. Um, You don't want them to attack the foreign invader. That's a baby. And then regulatory arm of the immune system is what keeps the entire immune system in check. So it basically restrains the system and it's supposed to do things like turn the immune system off once the job is done, detect when the immune system starts attacking something stupid like your own tissues and put a stop to it, um, and keep uh, sort of especially generalized inflammation or that nonspecific inflammation, keep it in check so that you're not damaging a lot of your own tissues as sort of like innocent bystanders of that inflammation. So what happens in autoimmune disease is the regulatory arm of the immune system is not working very well. And the fail-safes that are in place to make sure the body isn't attacking itself fail. But what happens in pregnancy is you get the shift from one type of attacking arm to another type of attacking arm, which can actually mean there's a little bit better regulation. But depending on what's going on in your autoimmune disease, you might switch to even more of the attacking arm that's already overactive for you, or you might switch away from it to a different arm of these, you know, these types of attacking cells. And so you tend to get these two different extremes with autoimmune disease and pregnancy. You tend to get flares. Um, so for example, multiple sclerosis very commonly flares during pregnancy. Um, and, uh, and it can be just, you know, horrible. And then you tend to get remission and there's, there's unfortunately, so with flares during pregnancy, that makes pregnancy very high risk. And that, um, that has a whole pile of complications and it's, it's high risk to both the baby and the mom. Um, but it tends to resolve upon the birth of the baby with remission during pregnancy. The price to pay is often a flare or a flare times 10 when the baby is born. Um, and then there's the second hormone shift. Um, there's a bunch of hormone shifts with lactation, but the, the major hormone shift is upon weaning. And so there can be another flare upon weaning. So it's, it's really has to do with just this, right? This natural, what our bodies are trying to do is protect the baby from being attacked by our immune system. And that can either, depending on exactly how our immune system's failing and autoimmune disease work in our favor, I guess, because remission is awesome during pregnancy or, you know, contribute to really high risk, awful, awful nine months. Um, and I think I don't, I don't have a sense for what's more common, um, you know, remission versus flare. I don't, I don't know that I've read any statistics about that. And certainly from talking with people, um, I tend to hear both sides of those, those stories all the time. Yeah. And sometimes people will have multiple autoimmune disease and one will go into remission and one will flare, which is oh. wacky. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I know, Danielle, you spoke to having a flare after your first pregnancy, and I can speak to having a flare after Wesley weaned, which was the first time I was really kind of in touch with my own body enough to understand what was going on, but also because I had been either 
pregnant or nursing for like nine years straight. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was really intense. And looking back, you can see a whole bunch of blog posts about, um, depression. And, and that's when I went on AIP and, um, my hair was falling out. I just all kinds of problems. Um, but the good news is, is that, um, finding a, uh, healthy lifestyle, be it diet, exercise, sleep, which Danielle, I know from following you and talking to you that you're doing all those things. I'm so impressed that you're getting physical exercise and sunshine and stuff like that. Cause I, (laughs) I think it's so important to regulating, especially those of us with autoimmune diseases, helping our bodies regulate those, those things. And I'm sure Sarah, you would be in whole hearted endorsement of (laughs) gentle activity and sunshine and all that kind of stuff to, to helping moderate long-term um, health issues, right? Yeah. I'd be curious to hear those things too, just how to prevent if there is a way, you know, afterwards, because I am the, the group that does go into remission. And I want to make sure that yeah. I'm doing I, everything I know, you know, possible to make sure I don't go back there. And I also know for me now what, you know, I know certain triggers and I know early signs. That was my biggest issue before was not recognizing it soon enough and just thinking, oh, it's just, you know, minor, it's going to go away. And then before I know it, I would just be downhill so quickly and, and be in the hospital. But, you know, now I know when I see things, I can really reel it in usually and kind of get rid of certain things in my diet that I know make things worse and add certain things that I may be slacking on um, in the past, you know, to try to get things back in order. But so that is like a really amazing situation to be in is to know your triggers. So number one, if you know your triggers, avoid them Um, and recognize the early signs so that you can tighten everything up as soon as you start to see signs. So the, the number one thing would be like uber focus on nutrient density and that helps, right? That's more nutrients, more nutrient resources to feed your growing baby. That's more nutrient resources to make breast milk. That's more nutrient resources to protect your own body that's more nutrient resources for the immune system to do its job because the immune system, I think I, I talked about this relatively recently on the podcast, but I'll, I'll mention it again. The immune system is this horrendous nutrient hog. It's a gas guzzler, basically. It's like one of those old fashioned cars that shouldn't be on the road anymore. Um, but instead of using gas, it uses vitamins and minerals and phytochemicals and amino acids. And it basically, um, needs this entire range, like range of basically all the nutrients, some certainly more than others, but it, it needs all of them to be able to work efficiently. And so what's really fascinating is that the regulatory arm of the immune system is the most sensitive to nutrient deficiencies. So for example, vitamin A, like the animal form of vitamin A, retinoic acid that you would get from liver, crazy Mm. important for the immune system to regulate itself. Vitamin D, which 75% of us are deficient in, crazy important for the immune system to regulate itself. Zinc, which 73, I think, percent of us don't get the RDA of zinc. Um, And even on a paleo diet, unless you're eating a lot of nuts and oysters and you know not if you're on the AIP that's you you're now you've got to do shellfish right if you're not if you're not able to tolerate nuts um so uh zinc phenomenally important for the regulatory arm of the immune system and there's you know there's like some B vitamins you know vitamin C vitamin E but there's those heavy hitters sort of A D and zinc and without them basically 
the regulatory immune system just breaks down and it, mm -hmm. it can't do its job anymore. So making sure that your diet is as crazy nutrient dense as possible, which is going to help with every, I mean, it's, I mean, it's just good all the time. Um, but you know, it's, it's especially useful during uh, pregnancy and, and post birth and lactation and all that. I was going to say those sleep deprived months afterwards, mm -hmm. but then the next thing is getting as much sleep as possible because the regulatory arm of the immune system is most active and there's certain aspects of it that are only active while we're asleep. And, you know, it kind of goes back to, I think in our current society, we are so, um, we're so, we try to do everything. I don't, I don't know that it was quite like this a hundred years ago. Um, I don't think so. <laughs> so we want to have it all. And that means we have to do all the things. And um, I often get these questions of like, well, but you know, when am I going to get the laundry done? When am I going to cook dinner? I have to work while the baby's napping. You know, there's all of these competing interests for our time. And part of it is um, that we just need to let go and just be like, yep. And the laundry's not going to get folded. Yep. And yep, we're going to eat that rotisserie chicken from Whole Foods for dinner again, right? Like we just, part of it is just learning to let go, which is really, really hard because the way our society has migrated, we've, we've really got to this inc crazy societal pressure to have everything, all, have all of our ducks in a row without the support that we had a hundred years ago when we were really raising children as, you know, as a village and you had other moms and you had family members that you could deposit your child with so that you could nap or get something else done. And so getting to that sleeping when the baby sleeps, which is really the best, you know, survival advice, uh, especially for someone with chronic health conditions. Um, it's, it's such a hard mental barrier to allowing ourselves to do that. But it's really, really important for the immune system to get sleep. Um, and it's really important for like stress management is also really important for the immune system. And one of the best things we can do for stress management is get enough sleep. So um, those two like activities, great, but we still need more sleep and activity is mm -hmm. actually great because it can help us sleep. Um, but those two things one of which I think is relatively easy, right? Nutrient density, okay, some oysters, some liver, some kale, right? It's, it's, it's pretty easy to put some good foods on your plate, even if you don't like them and you, you know that you're eating them for a good reason. Like most of us can figure that out. The, the sleep piece is so phenomenally important, and I feel like it's a much harder thing for most of us to actually implement um, because we're dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so those, but those two things, I, I would put those as like the top priorities for um, preventing flare. And then being, you know, being active, being aware of stress levels, being aware of triggers, trigger foods, trigger chemical exposures. Um, you know, there's the, all of those things are also inputs. Um, but I would put nutrient density um, and then sleep as being like these very like equally important top of the top of the pyramid, bottom of the, I don't know, pyramid, pyramid I hate pyramid analogies. They're <laughs> I don't, I'm not a big fan, but they, they would be, I think the two things to really, to really focus on for anybody mm. who's worried about f flares and health problems and yeah. 
all that fun stuff. All that fun stuff. (laughs) Danielle, you mentioned that you are able to recognize um, and rein in and add things and remove things. Do you want to share with people kind of what that looks like? Yeah. I mean, it, it, sometimes it changes, (laughs) but, um, Typically, I mean, so with, with my disease, you know, it's digestive. So it's, I I noticed that immediately. (laughs) Um, and then for me, when I really would get really, really sick was when I let it go too long and I would become severely anemic. And so that's what kind of what would then cause all sorts of other problems. So, you know, catching that before it gets out of hand for me is what's important. Um, and you know, people ask me all the time, they're like, have you been, have you, have you been symptom free since you started eating this way? And, and I'm, I say, no, you know, I've been out of the hospital since 2009, which is a huge accomplishment. Um, I'm sorry, my computer's dinging and I have everything closed and I have no idea where the dings are coming from. (laughs) Um, I'm trying to make them stop. We we can't can't, hear it. Yeah, we can't hear it for what it's worth. Good. Okay, good. Cause I'm hearing it in my ear. Okay, good. Um, (laughs) I'm like, where is it coming from? Uh, so yeah, you know, I tend to pull back and go on kind of more of an AIP type, um, protocol. I have noticed, you know, things like tomatoes don't really bother me, especially if they're cooked. Um, so the nightshade, you know, potatoes do. And so I pretty much always stay off of those except for the occasions where I steal French fries from Asher's plate. Um, when we're out to eat, but you know, I go off of a lot of the baked goods, which I know is probably a surprise for so many people to hear. Cause I make so many of them. Um, and I kind of go off of some of the nuts and seeds and the sweets and things of that sort. So I really end up kind of scaling it back, um, just to a very clean paleo, um, is kind of what I like to say. And I also, because I started with kind of a background in SCD and gaps, um, I start to kind of look at some of those things as well and making sure that I'm not, you know, eating some of those specific carbs that feed, you know, the bad bacteria. And I make sure that I'm getting probiotics and bone broth. Um, I, I try to drink that every day anyways, but a lot of times, you know, I get too busy and forget or time goes by and I, I kind of start to go off of it. So that I'm upping, you know, um, I've got supplements that I have through my naturopath, um, that I usually will start to kind of ramp up on those as well. And some of the stuff like Sarah said already, um, getting, trying to make sure that I get, more liver and things like that, which I'm really, really bad about on a normal occasion. If I'm feeling well, I tend to kind of forget about those things um, and forget that I really do still need them on a daily basis. Um, and so I kind of go into like defense mode usually and just go crazy and, and get everything back in. And, and usually I'm able to reel it in. I've, I've probably had one minor flare, I would say, um, a year Um which I used to get like three, uh, beforehand since going, you know, full paleo and since, you know, writing my books and things like that. Um, but I've been able to catch them before they've gotten too bad. Um, and it's typically around a time where I'm got a book coming out or I'm traveling, um, like Sarah said. So it's usually because I'm not taking care of myself. Um, and I always have to remind myself that regardless of everything I'm doing, I still have to put my health, you know, at at my top priority and make sure that I'm being careful if I am on the road, that I give myself, you know, time in between cities instead of jumping onto planes every 24 hours and changing hotels and running around like crazy. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I do. You know, it's, it's, different. And I still have a list when I went on my major kind of, um, 
major elimination diet, which was, you know, back five years ago now. Um, and there, there's a couple things on there, which is super random, but like I noticed that asparagus was causing issues, um, which is strange, but it's one of those things where I remember some of those trigger foods for me in the past. And I usually just cut them out whether or not they're still causing issues or not. I just, to be safe, I just kind of know not to, not to eat them. That's great. I, I have a list of foods myself and it ends up being a lot like your list only yeah um I cannot eat tomatoes at all <laughs> yeah, see? So. it's just yeah I think it's really good for people I mean I I tell people constantly and it's so my my husband rolls his eyes because he's like you totally did not do that at the beginning and so it's kind of part of my story but the number one piece of advice I have for people, especially if they have digestive, you know, conditions, but I think really in general is to keep a food journal because I think you can, and I've actually been learning again with breastfeeding, like I need to be keeping a food journal because there's certain times where he's crankier than others. And I guarantee it's something I ate. Um, I was was just going to ask you that. Yeah. Yeah. We can go into that next. Um, so, but my husband totally like constantly kept telling me at the beginning when I was early in the early days of being sick and being diagnosed, he was like, would you please just keep a food journal? Then we can see what's triggering things and you know, what kind of symptoms you're having when you eat certain things. And at that point, honestly, I was just so overwhelmed and I was so sick of being sick and so sick of trying to, you know, keep track of things. And so I kind of didn't want to do it. But once I finally did, we were really able to look back through and look at the correlation of certain things that I ate on certain nights. And, you know, the next morning I had a really bad morning or something of that sort. And, um, so I've just learned in general, just to really think about everything that I put in my mouth. (laughs) And if I start to feel sick or if I have a migraine or, you know, anything that I'm look back and I'm like, Oh yeah, I had this. And, you know, then I'm able to say, Oh, the last time I had that last month, I also had this happen. And so, huh, maybe that could be related. (laughs) Um, and so that's kind of the way that I've gone about it. I think that's awesome. Yeah. So I want to talk about food journaling for newborn because <laughs> while it sounds like it's not something you're yet doing, um, for those that don't know that six to 10, I'll say 10 week, that six to 10 week period is when mom's hormones really settle in from like your body just basically spraying like an open fire hose of breast milk, right? Like newborn moms will often wake up despite having like uh, breast pads and whatever in the bed. I know for me, at least I would wake up and just like be in a puddle of my own <laughs> breast milk. Um, sorry to those people that I'm offending. This is what our bodies are made to do. For some reason, I have absolutely no problem talking about this, but cannot talk about poop. Uh, so yeah, I was going to say something <laughs> to that effect. Exactly. But um, so what's interesting is about like the six to eight week mark for most women, the body kind of normalizes in terms of understanding a supply and demand. And it's because hormones set in and your body is able to start detecting how much milk it needs to make and then producing the right amount for for baby's needs. And there's also all this awesome science um, that we're continuing to find out about on like a regular basis, probably daily. I don't even know what kind of research is being done, but um, about regulating the immune system for babies and how very uh, nearly immediately mom's body reacts from the minute that, you know, baby's mouth touches breast and then mom is able to start making the um, 
oh my goodness, antibodies for the baby to be protected. So all of that really starts um, getting strong and um, under control, so to speak. Like it's it's happening more based off of an intentional mechanism around the period of time that you're in with baby E. Mm. And that is also around the period of time that I noticed um, food sensitivities. And while I'm sure it was happening the first six weeks, it, I think because it became more of a supply and demand cycle and we started, um, having more of a structure to our feedings because of the supply and demand, I was able to notice when, um, the things that I was eating was affecting the kids. And long, long before I was paleo, um, I learned that, lactose well what i thought was lactose yeah. um but was probably casein and lactose yeah yeah were affecting the my babies and you know of course i'm celiac so probably gluten was also affecting them but i was in complete denial of that but i could immediately tell i think it started because i was super addicted to dairy um likely because i am intolerant to it so i would have like bowls of cereal pudding ice cream, like (laughs) you name it. I was coming up with ways to consume dairy and I was telling myself like, well, my body needs the calcium. (laughs) So I'm going to consume all this. And I would see reaction like immediately in the kids. And so, um, that was one of the first things that even with Cole, uh, long before I even really understood about our bodies and processing food, I eliminated dairy and that's when I got into the leche league and learning more and, and all that kind of stuff. But, um, it happened with Wesley and it happened with Finn. Well, I guess it didn't happen with Wesley because I just never ate that stuff, but it happened with Finn as well, where, you know, I started, um, eating dairy, saw a reaction, took it out. Cause at first I thought it was coal that was lactose intolerant. And then when it happened with Finn, I was like, Oh, I'm the problem. <laughs> yeah. So now, um, kind of curious if it's, if you're starting to see more of that action and reaction in this period of time. And if so, maybe we can talk through, ways to kind of pro- problem shoot that and also to address the mythical calcium um, illusion that is always plagued by us paleo people when everyone is asked, well, how can you get your calcium if you're not drinking milk? Um, which I'm sure, Sarah, you have, uh, you probably have actually like a full complement of files in your computer. Just I'm imagining <laughs> you have like a folder for calcium. Like which study should I point to? Which information factoid should I share? Um, There's a lot of them. <laughs> sure. it, but it, it it boils down to guess what? There's calcium in other foods. <laughs> I mean, it it really it really is as simple as there's calcium in other foods, and in fact more absorbable calcium in other foods than there are than the calcium is in dairy. So for example, we absorb a much higher uh, percentage and use a much higher percentage of the calcium that's rich calcium in cruciferous vegetables than we do from um, the calcium in dairy. And uh, and you know what, it's sort of different because this comes from a, you know, we need calcium to be able to make um, breast milk, because breast milk has a substantial amount of calcium in it. That's one of the important minerals that we're imparting to our babies. Um, and normally this topic comes up when we talk about, you know, bone health and osteoporosis. But the long, there's a, a collection of studies that have looked at um, 
dairy consumption and long-term bone health. So they look at either osteoporosis or they look at um, hip fracture, which are sort of the two major, like really easily quantifiable um, measures of, of bone health. So, you know, definitely looking at the elderly, but looking at long-term dairy um, intake. And there's actually no correlation between dairy intake and, and bone health. If anything, there's a slight negative correlation. So if anything, there's, there's one study actually I, I, that showed a significant correlation, although the other studies more show that there's just nothing, um, that the more dairy you consume, the more likely you are to have bone health problems. So the more likely you are to have osteoporosis or hip fractures. Um, and what studies actually show is the the most important diet factor for bone health is large vegetable con- consumption, which goes back to, well, if it, it's not just calcium in these vegetables, it's other minerals that we need for um, bone mineralization um, and other vitamins that we need for bone mineralization. You know, we need vitamin A and vitamin D, but we also need things like vitamin C. Um, so um, you get a lot of these in a very vegetable heavy diet. And so um, it actually turns out that the the best thing you can do for bone health is eat lots of veggies. I just want to throw out there that I have been eating Danielle's roasted vegetable, no, roasted chicken and vegetable soup. soup. You made that for me when I came to visit your house. And I have Matt make it for me at least once a month. And Uh. I I just finished up a big batch. So I would recommend that if you're in need of vegetables, um, it also has good bone broth and Danielle, I know you're going to talk a little bit about some of the things that you're doing to keep real food on your table, despite having a high stress, high busy life. Um, that would be one of the things that I would add, but back to the whole recognition of food, um, do you want to talk a little bit about why you think that there might be problems or what you think the food journaling might do for you? Yeah, I think, well, luckily I think I've been kind of keeping track. So, um, I think he's actually doing pretty well. My, my son Asher had issues and it's funny that you, this, that timeline that you gave the seven to nine or whatever, I wasn't actually aware of. Um, but he kind of went crazy at like six weeks. So we, we just didn't really know what happened. Um, but I did know that like caffeine and chocolate, um, were bothering him. And so I cut those out with him. And so just, you know, early on, well, I didn't drink caffeine during my pregnancy with Easton either, but I cut out chocolate and I was eating a ton of dairy during my pregnancy, um, which typically I have to be pretty careful about. I can usually do like some harder cheeses, you know, if they're pretty low in lactose and home fermented yogurt. Um, but during the pregnancy, I was pretty much able to eat everything. Uh, so it's been a little bit of a sad goodbye. Um, but I think he does, I think he does react to it. Uh, and so I've been kind of staying clear of that. You know, it's, it's been interesting because I keep reading. I've been trying to see if there's just something that I can find that's like a very clear answer, um, on the internet. And it, and it seems like it's pretty, pretty split. You know, some people say that it's not, and that there's, you know, a lot of food doesn't go into your bloodstream. And so then it doesn't affect the babies. And then other things I read, you know, say, stay off of like onions and garlic and things like that. And 
I, I have a hard time with it because I'm like, I'm already not eating so many different things. I really don't want to cut out my beloved like onions and garlic for seasoning my food. Or, you know, if you're going out to dinner, like how can you know what's in things? Um, but really just caffeine, chocolate, dairy, those are kind of the things that I've been really trying to limit for him. Um, but there's been a couple nights where there's something off, you know, I don't, I know I had a it's all, it's all speculation for me as well, just so everybody knows. So don't take this like off for fact, I'm really trying to figure it out. But I had a smoothie when we were just on vacation in Nashville last week and I had asked for almond butter, but I'm pretty sure they gave me peanut butter and I went ahead and drank it, which I probably shouldn't have because I haven't had peanut butter in years. Um, and he was inconsolable for like four hours in the evening. Uh, and he's never done that before. You know, he would like try to nurse and he would, break off and he would cry. And no matter what position I held him in, he wasn't happy and it was just awful. And that was the only thing during the day that I could think of that was slightly different. Um, but of course we were eating out, you know, cause we were, we were traveling. And so there's definitely something that could have been in something I ordered, but it's those types of things that I don't, when he's just out of character, you know, I know babies are, there's, they're just, there's not really any character to be, you know, there's not like a very good routine at the beginning. So it could have just been a bad night for him, but it's those types of things that I tend to look at. Um, and I really just try to see if there was something different. Um, you know, I think people just kind of look past some of that sometimes and are just like, Oh, he's just cranky or he's colicky or, you know, whatever. Um, but I just know how much food affects my body. And so to me, it just seems like common sense that there's something, you know, that might be affecting him. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree with that. And that's the symptom you described is exactly what would happen to my boys. And they were, Cole and Finn were both um, diagnosed, and I'm using quotation marks with colic. <laughs> um, but, you know, colic went away magically right. when I didn't eat the exact same foods that you're mentioning. I also took out like broccoli and onions and garlic yeah, in the beginning. Yeah. And then I started eating them again after yeah. he didn't have problems. And I didn't have problems. It was really just chocolate and um I don't know if caffeine affected them or not because I don't I was probably drinking a ton of Diet Coke let's be real um (laughs) but dairy dairy and um and chocolate were huge and probably because it's not like I was eating high quality dark chocolate but right right um I also noticed I got a few lattes or cappuccinos too when we were out and I, I got almond milk but and decaf, but I guarantee that the almond milk they were using at the coffee shops was probably pretty low quality and probably had some, some different ingredients, ingredients in it that I don't typically consume at home. And he was a little bit more fussy with those too. And I, it's such a minimal amount that I don't know for sure, you know, but anything that's out of the ordinary and that's foreign from what I typically eat, if, if I'm noticing that he's acting up, then I'm going to be, you know, the first to point at that. So that's just, just kind of watching and and seeing, you know, how he's acting. But I also, you know, in addition to watching the food that I'm eating, he did end up having to be a C-section baby. Um, he was big. Everybody keeps asking me how big he was, but he was nine, nine. Um, uh, yeah. (laughs) Um, so I, I just for the record, although you're tall, you are not a large woman, like a 10 pound (laughs) baby out of you. That's a lot. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm not even that tall. I'm five, I'm almost five, eight. So, but yes, big, big baby. My son Asher was eight ten, and we thought he was big and they were both 21 inches. So they're, they were big, big babies. Um, I tried for a V back and nothing, it didn't, didn't happen. So I started doing probiotics for him as well. Um, just, you know, because of everything I've read about the baby's immune system and, um, also just their gut, um, and everything without coming 
coming vaginally. So, um, I got a probiotic for him and I do think that's helping as well. Um, I actually asked everybody, you know, their recommendations. So I, I got one online that was really highly recommended and I think that's helped him too. Um, and I think, I think that, you know, giving him that hopefully will be able to give me a tiny bit more lenience in what I eat. <laughs> um, but in the end, you know, I remember with Asher, I was like super stubborn and I knew chocolate was giving him issues. And I still was like, I still want my chocolate. I'm like, I'm nursing. I'm hungry all the time. I want to eat cookies and cake and brownies that everybody's bringing over. Uh, and so I just kept eating it knowing. And now at this point, I'm like, no, it is not worth losing my sleep. It's not worth bouncing a crying baby for three hours just so I can enjoy something that I really want to eat. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, it's amazing how different our perspectives can be from one experience to the next. Well, and also when, totally. you, know, when you know what a difference it makes too, yeah. I think helps. So Sarah, I am going to attempt to drop a knowledge bomb and <laughs> I want you to either give me a high five or tell me I'm completely wrong. Um, what, what if, what if you're kind of right, but kind of wrong and it's like somewhere in between, then we can have discussion. Okay. I just like, you just made it really black or white there all of a sudden. I was like, wait a minute. Okay. Well, I'm going to state a fact, so it's either going to be right or wrong. (laughs) So Daniel, one of the things that you mentioned was about, um, difference of opinion on the internet about whether or not the food you eat goes into the breast milk. And I want to address that because it's something I am familiar with. And I think that I understand the science enough now to know why that's the case. But I would recommend that people check out kellymom.com. I'm assuming that's still a resource as I it was. It is. Kelly Mom. Yeah, it is. <laughs> okay. It's a really good when I at least for me, um, when I was nursing as well as when after I was done nursing and I was still in Lil H A League, it was the resource that we always recommended um for really good both um factual information as well as a community of moms that can give recommendations. And one of the things that um I learned from Kelly mom was that it absolutely, the food does affect your breast milk. And I think the science behind that goes into the proteins that are in your blood. So while food is not digested, um, into your blood, for those of us who are all very familiar with leaky gut, you know, that you know, the tight junctions in your gut can put things into your blood. And one of the things that's in your blood, no matter what, is protein. So for me, I think, and Daniel, probably for you as well, because we have autoimmune conditions, um, our bodies are likely recognizing things that are, um, their bodies are specifically sensitive to, for example, gluten with cross reactors like chocolate and other grains and coffee and a lot of the other things that we talk about as being gluten cross reactors, Mm -hmm. your body can make, um, proteins that are going into your blood and causing reactions in your breast milk and there's protein in milk. So I think that for me, when I, when I try to look at holistically, like when you think about the the food that you're eating and you're like, well, it's going into my stomach, which is entirely different from my mammary glands. Well, your mammary glands are pulling from the nutrients that are in your body and from the blood and everything else that is making the milk for baby. And that is coming from what is what you're putting into your body. So there's no way around that. Like you can't, 
you can't eat, for example, McDonald's and expect for both your health and baby's health to be really great on the back end because you're like, well, my body's making milk, so it's going to be fine if I just eat 100% McDonald's diet. Um, and what will end up happening, okay, first of all, before I say what's going to end up happening, am I completely, what, are we, do we need to have a discussion or was I okay? <laughs> um, I mean, <laughs> Yeah, I got, yeah, yeah. So, okay, can I, can I maybe expand on what do you it. said? Yeah, do okay, it. So, I just want to say for the record that I attempted to bring some science to the table. Matt I was going to say, I bought entirely, it all. I mean, I, yeah, right. I believed you. Okay. Matt, Matt, you're going to have to come up with an entirely different uh, sound effect for Stacey's science. <laughs> she blinded me with science. Oh, no, I think we used that in the beginning. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> so, um. You were right in the statement of, you know, even if we have a slightly leaky gut, there are intact compounds, not not just proteins, but proteins are sort of proteins are what activates the immune system. Um, so there's intact things getting into our bloodstream. Um, but I think that the mechanism that is most likely more at play is when our bodies are having immune reactions against food, because one of the things we do is we, we are providing the baby's immune system for the first four months of life um, through our breast milk. And, um, or at least, you know, while theirs is turning on, like we're supplementing their immune system. And we're doing that with a lot of different sort of immune compounds. So things like antibodies. So if we're having an immune reaction to food, I mean, we're supposed to be having immune reactions to the viruses around us, the bacteria around us, right? We pass on that immunity to our babies so they don't get those viruses and those bacteria. But if we have leaky gut, if we have food sensitivities undiagnosed, if we have um, autoimmune disease, chances are really good. We're forming at least low levels of of antibodies against a, a good collection of foods all the time. It's one of the things that just kind of goes along with with poor gut health is inappropriate immune reactions to food. Um, and so what happens is we're, you know, we're, we're, those, those, we're, whether those proteins are leaking into the body or not, we are forming an, an immune reaction to them because we have these sort of like sentinel cells that are constantly taking proteins from the gut environment um, by way of informing the immune system of what what we need to prepare to attack. Um, and so that's one mechanism that we will see a food protein and, and have an immune reaction to it, or it can leak in, we can have an immune reaction to it that way. And then we're passing on our, you know, crazy overactive immune reactions to the baby. And that is what can cause, I mean, there's, like what Stacey, what you had uh, with your boys, which is, I mean, I never heard about this when I was a kid. It was something that like 10 years ago, I, was all, I knew a couple people and like all of a sudden, it seems like a really common dairy, soy, gluten, eggs, I think are the most common culprits. But these reactions where the baby is having these like mucousy, bloody, you know, stools as, and it's your, your body's reaction to those foods that you're passing on to your baby, which mm. is horrible because there's enough mommy guilt as there is without something like that yeah at least, right. at least i didn't realize that it was me with the first one <laughs> just was like oh poor cole poor cole poor cole and meanwhile he's got like 
major problems that I'm trying to solve with like grape water, right? And I mean, that's not to say that if you're using grape water that there's anything wrong with that, but his problem was much bigger than grape water. And I finally had to be like, okay, I can't eat all these foods. But with Finn, when he had problems, I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> it's me and I'm in denial. Um, totally. <laughs> okay. So let's say you get, you know, let's, let's say you get all this and, you know, you're still like, you know what, I can't eat oysters and liver and kale, right? Um, I'm going to eat these less nutrient rich foods that don't cause my baby stomach upset. Um, here's the thing about that. The way that your, your body prioritizes, um, when you're nursing is your body will prioritize the food source for your child because it's important. It's essential for your baby to have the correct nutrients in the breast milk and it will take what you're not giving it from your own body. And I don't have to ask Sarah for this. I'm a hundred percent sure. <laughs> so, right. Um, totally right. So let's say you're eating a diet that is lacking in nutrients, what your body is going to do is take from those stores that you have and pull from those stores and give it to baby, which is really great because if you were, you know, a nomad cave woman living in the wild with a baby and you, you know, had a baby in the wintertime, it's a prioritization for, you know, while you're eating only nuts and berries or whatever, not berries, only nuts or whatever you have, it's a priority for your body to make for baby. It's not the same, however, in the modern day age, if you have access to those foods, because what it's going to do and what is extremely common in um, moms, like basically the first few years after you have a baby a lot of moms get cavities. And the reason hmm. that you get a cavity is because your body has pulled from the calcium stores. It's also, and I'm going to go out on a limb and assume here, probably why women are more likely to have osteoporosis because women have had children that have pulled the calcium stores from their body over time. Um, there are other factors there at play, obviously, but it is it is essential to ensure that you are eating a nutrient-rich diet so that your body doesn't suffer because your body will give it to baby. So maybe, Sarah, you want to talk about like top 10 foods that you think nursing moms should eat and like the main nutrients in them that would contribute to their health? Uh, sure. So <laughs> I think we've done these like top lists before and people love them. I know it's like a rehashing, but... It's a rehashing, but it's also like, oh, say, put me on the spot. Um, okay. <laughs> so, so, you know, I guess the number one thing is that, you know, breast milk has a, a quite a high protein content. And um, I'm going to just go and say a really, really broadly general adequate protein. Um, so making sure that you're getting, you know, enough protein that you're have the amino acid resources for your body and the amino acid resources to make breast milk. Um, then the next one is um, breast milk is quite mineral rich. So, um, you know, things like calcium, um, but also things like phosphorus, iron. Um, so making sure that you're getting mineral rich foods. So a lot of, you know, meat's very tip, 
typically, especially organ meat can be very mineral rich. Um, and especially something like liver is very mineral rich. Um, but I think that, you know, for most minerals where we're getting the best sources is from vegetables, especially that the powerhouse vegetables are cruciferous vegetables. So that's the family that includes cabbage, broccoli, cauliflower, um, turnips, arugula, Brussels sprouts, right? That whole family um, and dark leafy greens. So kale's like double whammy because it's cruciferous, dark leafy green. So like it's awesome and collards, two super, super veggies. Um, so that provides the really broad, especially if you're doing right, the, the, the mineral rich protein sources and the mineral rich veggies, you're getting that broad um, mineral background. Um, vitamin D. Um, so we can get that from foods, especially seafood. So fish and shellfish is our, our best food source of vitamin D. We get some vitamin D from the fats from pasture-raised animals, from uh, grass-fed dairy. Um, you can get some vitamin D2 from mushrooms, but your body then has to convert that into D3. Um, being out in the sun um, and, you know, in the absence of all that, supplement. But I only ever recommend supplementing with vitamin D after being tested because too high of vitamin D levels – um, can cause health problems as well. So you always want to make sure if you're going to do a vitamin D supplement um, that you test your D levels first. And you can actually like mail order these super inexpensive kits. Like it's it's pretty straightforward to get tested for vitamin D. Um, most insurance will cover that on, you know, standard blood work. So you forgot my favorite source of vitamin D. Lard. Lard. <laughs> I did say pasture-raised animal fats. Okay. I thought that was covered. Yeah, I just want to be specific. Eat, eat your lard and feel good about it. Fish, fish is better. Um, <laughs> and uh, there's so there's some other really important minerals you don't sort of um, vitamins. We're talking about vitamins now. Uh, so I mentioned, did I mention vitamin A? Retinoic acid, liver, and uh, like egg yolks. Um, and then the whole class of antioxidants. So antioxidant um, vitamins like vitamin C and vitamin E, um, but also the antioxidants that we get from phytochemicals in plants. And there's, you know, like 6,000 different ones. So take your pick. Um, but that those antioxidants are just really, really important for the cellular health of the cells that are making breast milk. Um, but we also pass on some of those antioxidants in the breast milk. So, um, you know, sort of the, the, the powerhouses, liver, because it's always a powerhouse, and oysters, because they're always a powerhouse, but really organ meat and high-quality meats, uh, fish and shellfish, and lots of vegetables. You know, studies basically show that above five servings a day, sort of the cusp for seeing all of these health benefits from, from vegetables. So vegetables, high vegetable consumption basically lowers your risk of every chronic health problem. Um, and uh, and five servings is sort of what's considered that the cusp. So you have to have at least five veggies a day, um, and a serving, you know, basically it's around a cup of, for most things. Um, it's like two cups for leafy green. Like it's it's, um, it's like half a cup if it's something that's been you know like boiled spinach, right? It's, it was two cups. Now it's half a cup. Um, so you know, five five, cups five of servings vegetables a day is a lot. I mean, unless you're eating like a massive salad, but it's, it seems like a lot. I mean, I think you have to be pretty intentional personally, think, especially when I'm like grabbing things as quickly as I can on the go, you know? <laughs> I, um, I, 
I find it fairly intuitive now, but it was yeah. something that I had to actively think about initially. But one of the things is, so you say like a cup seems like a lot. Like if you were thinking of like a cup of flour, like a cup of flour is, you know, that's a lot of flour to put into a recipe. But when you actually start putting like broccoli florets into a one cup measuring cup, it's yeah, really then, it's really it's like, oh wait, that's not very much. Like yeah, suddenly you're like, oh no, that's like six bites of broccoli. I'm good. Yeah. Um, so when they measure vegetables, it's not like, it's not mash, it's pieces in a one cup. Um, and it's raw. So typically before it's cooked. So um, it's, it, it's not actually that intimidating. It kind of builds in the fact that there's going to be some air in there. Um, so, and five servings a day, right? You think of like one at breakfast, two at lunch, two at dinner. Yeah, or that's true. zero at breakfast, because that's really much more common. <laughs> two at lunch, three at dinner. I think that's probably <laughs> how most people would do it. But, um, but that's not so bad. And then basically studies show that the more vegetables you eat, the better. So you basically get this like dose response. Um, and as long as you're getting adequate animal foods, because once you start to lean towards a plant-based diet, then you're starting to miss out on some really important um, uh, nutrients that are only found in animal foods. But basically, if you can get that sort of minimum amount of animal food to have your protein requirements and the nutrients that you can only get from those foods and then pile on the vegetables, that's sort of like the best the best nutrient case scenario for the human body. So, you know, it's, it's the same foods I always talk about, really, really, because I mean, they're, they're, they're the superfoods. They're the ones that have the most to offer us. Um, and they're yummy. So, Danielle, let's walk through some foods that might be like some recipes or things that people might eat that are on the list of Sarah's superfoods. Uh, I feel like we need yeah. a graphic for Sarah's superfoods that just seriously, I'm going to have to go back through and listen to the podcast. <laughs> I'm trying to, well, You're trying to keep baby. Up, so yeah. yeah, I'm like, I'm gonna have to go back through and take notes because oh. I have a lot to learn still. <laughs> so I would, I would incorporate, um, making a pot of soup and I already mentioned your soup yeah. or one could make any sort of soup and throw vegetables in it. And yes. then you would, you could have soup for uh-huh. breakfast, lunch or dinner that could just be like microwaved or reheated in like a minute. And you would have a meal that would have both protein um, and collagen and vegetables in it. But you could also do a more simplistic approach for people that are like, no, I really just don't have time for that. One of the things that, Danielle, I know you do is you put veggies in smoothies. So you could make a smoothie with something like, you know, some fruit. You could throw in cucumbers or spinach or kale um, and just put it right in a high-speed blender and make yourself a smoothie. And you would get – you could get two or three cups of vegetables easily without even tasting them that way. Um, And I always – Yeah. I was going to say I always put vital proteins in mine. So you're getting a kind of double hit that way. Um, do you have other things? Cause I know you said one of the things that people ask you pretty frequently is, you know, what you're eating and how you're making it work with a baby and a five-year-old and, um, you know, doing a book and all that kind of stuff. Do you have yeah. other things that are working really well for you? Well, I'm, I'm self-proclaimed terrible at getting all of those things. So <laughs> after being on this podcast, I'll probably go on like overdrive and just eat a ton of all of it next week. Cause I'll feel terrible that I've been slacking so badly. Um, we never want to make can... anybody feel terrible. That <laughs> is the opposite. No more of just like that light bulb of like, Oh, you have been neglecting yourself for the last couple of weeks. Um, 
No, I mean, I have more tips on just kind of getting food into your body in general. <laughs> um, and I probably need to focus more on that kind of stuff. But I think the soup and the smoothies is huge. I mean, I get, I like, I throw a roasted beet a lot of times into Asher's smoothie um, just to get some. And I buy those love beets. I'm not boiling or baking beets and peeling the skins off of them. I get those organic already cooked ones from Whole Foods um, and just like open the package and throw a whole beet into a smoothie. And then, like you said, the vital proteins, the collagen, um, you know, pouring that in. Um, and, and so that's, those are like the easiest tips. The soup is a good one. Um, what I did, and I just have, I just put out a huge blog post on it was um, just prepping ahead of time um, doing tons of freezer meals and um, lots of crock pot stuff. And that's kind of the easiest way for me um, just to be able to take something out, you know, and, and throw it in, um, especially the crock pot stuff that you can defrost the night before and throw it into the crock pot in the morning and have dinner ready. Um, and you could do that with that soup too. I mean, any of the soups, you know, um, what I like to do is prep it and I do a couple, like I'll double the recipe. So if I was making that soup, I would kind of prep as much as I could ahead of time. And I like to freeze it all raw. Um, and then just take it out, you know, so you do two batches at once. So basically you're only doing kind of one cleanup session. You can hear him. Um, we'll probably be ending this soon. Um, and I freeze it and then I just take it out the night before, just like the one and, and put it in the crock pot in the morning and then, you know, dinner's ready to go. So that is super helpful for me. Obviously, you know, I mean, an easy salad. One of the things that I found has been really great is when I can and um, I, well, first of all, everybody asks me how I do it all. And I do have to be honest and say, I have help. Um, and I think, you know, I, I have a, an fantastic kitchen assistant that helps me with, with my books and everything. And so I've been able to utilize her, which has been great, but I also have my mom down the street and I've got friends that are offering. And so I think it's funny, Sarah and I have talked about this before, but accept help. Um, if someone offers, <laughs> um, accept it and don't try to take it all on yourself. If you've got a friend that maybe doesn't have kids or that has older kids that, can, you know, keep themselves busy for a little bit, grab, grab them and ask them if they can help you, you know, on a weekend day and treat them to a coffee or something. Um, but one of the things I've been doing for lunches, especially because for some reason I, I, I seem to not be able to find time for lunch, um, is cutting up a bunch of stuff for salads and having it ready to throw together with one hand, because usually my other hand is holding Easton unless he's in a carrier, which has kind of been my lifesaver. But, um, Stuff that you can eat one-handed is actually a, a huge lifesaver when you've got a newborn. I found um, even asking Ryan to like cut up my chicken when we sit down so that I can hold Easton and eat with the other hand. <laughs> um, it's just those little things. But the salad stuff has been a lifesaver. I just prep everything, you know, at the beginning of the week. So like wash your lettuce and then wrap it up in a paper towel and store it in a bag. It'll help keep it crisp and not get wilty. And, um, your vegetables, you know, like I cut up carrots and jicama and cucumbers and things like that. And I store them in some water just so they'll last, um, which actually Sarah, I'm curious to hear your thought on that because somebody told me that it strips all the nutrients out of it when you store it in water. Um, oh, good. Cause somebody left that comment on one of my Facebook posts and I was like, Oh no, I've been depriving Asher of nutrients with the carrots I'm sending him to school. Um, I hope that and Matt just used the, um, science bomb noise when you said no. Good. 
Um, yeah, so that's been really great. And then I'll, you know, cook some chicken at the beginning and have it diced up or whatever the protein or, or sometimes I'll grab our whole foods, which I found through traveling, not all the whole foods have them, but we have organic plain rotisserie chickens or some with salt and pepper, but they're organic and, you know, they're actually a similar price to buying it and roasting it yourself, which, and it saves you a ton of time. And then we use the bones, you know, for stock afterwards. So I'll buy one of those and shred all the chicken off of it and have it ready to go. And that has been huge for me to be able to get food. Um, I also have made quite a few things and kept them in the freezer for breakfast because that's the other thing when I'm trying to get a five-year-old off to school in the morning. Um, I've, you know, kept things like I have those allergy free breakfast cookies, Stacey, that I shared on your um, blog that are also in my first cookbook. Those are in the freezer. Um, because again, I was kind of trying to stick, stay away from a few things for Easton's sake. Um, and I've got breakfast burritos in the freezer, just things like that, that I can throw into the toaster oven or, or whatnot early, you know, right when I wake up and have it ready to go. Um, because otherwise I'm starving and everybody that's you know, breastfeeding knows that when you're starving, it's just not good. <laughs> it goes from, it goes from good to bad really quickly when I'm it, hungry. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if you're breastfeeding or not. <laughs> That's true. Anytime you're hungry. <laughs> and, well, and it will also affect your supply. Not just will it make you hangry, but it will affect your supply yes. as well. So, Right. Exactly. Yeah. So those are some of the things, but that blog post that I posted, it would be really helpful for people just in more of the tips on how, because I think a lot of people don't know how to freeze or how to defrost or how to batch cook. Um, and it's really the same whether you're paleo or not. I mean, it's a lot of those same things like casseroles and soups and things like that freeze the best. Um, but I give some of my tips on there and, and that, that helped me enormously. I mean, it was, yeah, it was a huge, huge help. Awesome. We'll make sure that we get a link in the show notes for people to be able to check out that post as well as the different recipes that we've mentioned. Yeah. So I know that um, BBE is um, only going to tolerate a few more minutes. Sarah, well, he's eating now, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Well, why don't, why don't we, I I really want to respect your time, Danielle. So, um, why don't we, I, I guess, you know, let's, let's end with like the personal, like, you know, how, how are you, how, how amazing is it? How are you feeling? How, right. Do you want, do you want to share a little bit about just that transition and being in that phase of motherhood again? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's good. He's, I don't know if you can hear him. He's like a total ah. grunter when he. Um, he, it's adorable. Yeah. He's such a grunter. Oh, now he's crying. Um, yeah, it's been really great. It's been pretty crazy to revert back to that. But, um, you know, Asher has, Asher's actually surprised us. He has adapted so well and he's completely obsessed with him. Um, he will not leave the room without kissing him. And every morning he comes in to see him and before he leaves for school, he wants to hold him and he hardly ever calls him by his name because we didn't pick a name until we were in the hospital. And actually Asher picked it out of like three that we had. Um, so he calls him baby or cutie cute face. Um, pretty much all the time. And he talks in this obnoxiously high voice to him, but it's just too cute. So we just let him do it and he gets way too close to his face, but he's in love with him. And, and so are we, but it's, um, yeah, it's been, it's been an interesting transition. I, I love my job. I love testing recipes and I love writing my books. So honestly, within like 
the first, after the first week, um, after I was able to actually walk, um, after my C-section, I got back into the kitchen and I stuck him in my Solly baby wrap and my ergo carrier. And, you know, just have been in the kitchen. Um, it's kind of in and out of the kitchen cause he eats frequently. Um, but it's been so fun just kind of having him be in here with me and be a part of it. Um, and I was just getting stir crazy, you know, so, <laughs> um, it's, it's been, it's been interesting, but it's been great. That's um, that's awesome. We are so happy for you. And I know we said congratulations before we recorded, but just so that it's on air <laughs> and everybody hears it again, uh, congratulations. And thank Thanks. you so much for joining us tonight. I'm sure there are lots of people out there who uh, are wilting with like the adorableness of those noises <laughs> and uh and also you know hopefully much more excited and much more comfortable with their own you know health journeys and and baby journeys absolutely i just want to congratulate you um as well not just on having the baby but for um really being a wonderfully positive open role model for so many people in the community uh-huh. and i think that um your openness in sharing about both you know the things you're prioritizing and the things that you struggle with when you have a baby will help so many people and um i know that it is eye-opening for a lot of people to see someone publicly talk about breastfeeding and all that kind of stuff um i've been there and i just want to say High five. Great job. Sorry you're not getting sleep right now. <laughs> but, um, but I know that um, having a family is the most important thing to yeah. all of us. And uh, it's it's just amazing to to watch your family. So thanks again for being on the show and sharing with everyone. And yeah. I promise that I will come visit soon. Like, I know that I keep saying that and I know. um starting a new job was um it's just yeah. really bad timing but I have I I really Matt and I want to to come out so I promise that we'll try to make that happen. But Yep, well, we're not going anywhere. So. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for tuning in everyone. Thank you Danielle for joining us. Do you want to mention one more time just where people can find you? Yeah, I'm against all grain across all platforms <laughs> and against all grain.com. So you can find me on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. And I just recently got Snapchat, although I really don't know how to use it. So there's probably no use in following me there. Um, Sarah and I had the same conversation about Periscope. <laughs> yeah, Periscope, I haven't even downloaded yet. I, I probably should. I'm a late adopter for most of those things. So um, yeah, but you can find me kind of everywhere. <laughs> Great. Anything else, Sarah? I just want to say uh, thanks again to Danielle and thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you for listening to The Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. Good evening. Um, I guess it is almost a Halloween show. (laughs) Or that might be just how I say good evening every week. Yeah, that's the Canadian way. It's the awesome Canadian way.
Just saying. Canada's awesome. Obviously. I, oh, I always, what? I always, I always found the harder part to be. I'm sorry. Hold no, you're cool. Anything else, Sarah? Um, I think I. Matt, please, please, please cut that out. No, he's got to leave that in. Take it for the bloopers. Cut out this part right here so we can have a nice, graceful end to the podcast. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.